Well, everybody, I'm going to invite Donna Jean uh, Weens to come, and she's going to read the scripture uh, to us. Um, and it's going to be a responsive reading, so you can prepare yourselves for that. I just want to make uh, a few quick announcements. Uh, first of all, our uh, elections, our annual elections, this is where we vote for people for our annual reunion, which we call district assemblies and convention. We vote for the delegates for that. Also for uh, our missionary president, our uh, new church board members, and so on. Uh, that's going to be coming up in just the next little while. This is the second announcement that I'm making about that. And it's all going to be done online, uh, digitally. So just watch for more information about that. Uh, as well, I have some good news to share. Um, our children's pastor, Laurel Pridgen, had uh, stepped down and resigned effective January 31st uh, to take care of her son, Micah, and actually both of her boys, uh, Jonathan and Micah, who uh, suffer with Barth syndrome. And uh, Micah's situation uh, has become um, very difficult, and she just knew she needed to be a full-time mom. And we're happy to announce that beginning uh, middle of May, uh, we have hired um, a new children's pastor. Her name is Tammy, and she lives in uh, near Ottawa, Ontario. She will be moving with her family, her fairly large family, uh, to Calgary, and will resume her ministry somewhere around the middle of May. And stand by for more information about her. Now, last week, you heard me talk about a new sermon series that uh, Trent McDowell and I had crafted and it's called Words We Live By. And we can't do this without you. What we want to know is, do you have a favorite verse of Scripture, a favorite passage of Scripture? How many of you do? Come on, how many? Okay, you're all here. How many of you online? Okay. Um, I've only heard from like three people so far. Uh, we need to hear from you by next Friday. Uh, please don't think, oh, everybody's turning this in. Hardly anybody has responded yet, because maybe you're thinking everybody else is. Uh, but really, we would love to hear from you. And then what we'll do is we'll make a selection, and then we just want to do a sermon series on favorite Bible verses or passages. So please get that information to us, and uh, you can get it to me personally if you wish. And now I'm going to turn it over to Donna Jean to lead us. Thank you, Pastor. The scripture today is based on Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians 15. Please read responsively. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He is risen. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. He is risen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, 
is your sting. He is risen. Thank you. Thank you, Donna Jean. Uh, so last week, uh, my wife and I decided to watch a movie that I had seen uh, years ago, but we watched it on Netflix. It's a movie um, called The Pianist. Uh, stars Adrian Brody, um, who won an Academy Award for Best Actor in 2003 for his role uh, playing the part of Waldeslav Spielmann. And so um, this movie is a true story, based on a true story, about uh, this Polish uh, concert uh, pianist um, uh, who survived the Holocaust, uh, the extermination of the Jews in Nazi Germany. And Spielmann had lost his entire family during the war, but he managed himself to survive in hiding um, as the Nazis were looking for the Jewish people. Near the end of the war, Spielman had almost run out of options. He had no food, he had no water, he had no shelter, he had nowhere to hide, and he became desperate. And the irony of the story is this. The person who saved his life and helped him to survive the war was a Nazi officer who had mercy upon Spielmann. The Nazi officer found Spielmann in a home, an abandoned home, and Spielmann had a can of pickled cucumbers that he was trying desperately to open, didn't have a can opener. And as he's desperately trying to open this, this Nazi officer is watching him, and then he queries him and says, like, so who are you and what do you, what do, you do? normally. And Spielman told him who he was, and he told him that he was a, a concert pianist. And that got the attention of this Nazi officer. And so he motioned towards a grand piano that was still sitting there in the rubble, and he asked Spielman to play. And he played a Chopin nocturne, and uh, the officer must have been really impressed because it was absolutely lovely, at least the movie version of it. And he said to him, here's a place in the attic where you can stay in hiding so no one can find you. And then what happened is the Nazi officer supplied him with food and water, just daily rations, so he could survive the war. Shortly after the war ended, Spielmann uh, documented his story. And uh, it eventually, decades later, was published as a book, and that's, of course, what the movie The Pianist with Adrian Brody was based upon. The book is a stunning testament to human endurance in the face of intense loss and suffering. And the question that I think needs to be asked is, what kept Spielman going during that terrible time. And in a word, what kept them alive wasn't food and water. What kept them alive was hope. Hope that somehow he would live beyond the war. 
I came across this quote. It says that a person needs just three things to be truly happy. Think about your own life. To be truly happy, you need someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. In Spielman's fight for survival, he didn't have anyone to love. He'd lost everyone dear to him. He didn't have anything to do except fight for survival. But he did have something to hope for. And that was that he would live beyond the war. And so that's what hope can do for us. Is it gives us the endurance the perseverance to carry on when life does its worst to us. Think about your past year. What was it like for you? Really. For some of us, we might say, hey, it wasn't bad. I made it. Maybe you say, I even thrived. Some of you might say, I've just been hanging on, just holding on to hope. The Bible says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Who's that promise for? Those who put their hope in the Lord. Last year was not the worst year of my life. The worst year of my life was... um, my pre-adolescent years and my early adolescent years. My parents um, went through a divorce. It was kind of messy. There was an affair. My father left my mother. Uh, Myself and my two sisters ended up in a blended family because she already had two kids. And I have to tell you, uh, that that was, I, I never want to go back to those days. I remember everything. I remember things that were said. I remember things that were done. I remember abuse, not from my father, but I do remember the abuse, the verbal, the emotional abuse. I remember the sense of inferiority and worthlessness that I felt. Cruel things that were said and done. And the only thing that kept me going as I've reflected upon it was hope. That I still had a life. Somehow I was going to get through this. And you know, in the Church of the Nazarene, we talk about the prevenient grace of God. And it actually means the grace of God that goes before our knowledge of Him. Even though I didn't know God, His mercy and His grace was with me. Even though I didn't know it. That's the mercy of God. Now, I know that I haven't had to endure nearly what many people in our world have had to go through. I'm looking over here, and is that you, Moses? Yeah, and uh, two of your children. I, what you folks have had to endure in South Sudan and to come here as refugees. There are so many in our world who have suffered far more than I can ever imagine. And I count myself fortunate, really, but I don't take that for granted. There's human misery everywhere. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me, for us. But I know this, is that my eyes are fixed on God, and that's why I spend my early mornings 
with the Lord in my Bible reading, meditation, and prayer to keep my eyes fixed on the things that are above and on the hope that is coming. My hope is in God alone. This past year of COVID-19 has been one of intense suffering for people and loss, and for some worse than others. And this year has reminded us that nothing is certain. Our investments aren't certain. Our jobs and our sources of income are not certain. Our health is not certain. Life is not certain. Nothing is certain in this world. And some of us holding on to hope are just surviving long enough that maybe one day we can thrive again. Have you heard the term COVID fatigue? They talk about COVID. They're worried about that right now. They're saying with COVID fatigue, and as the longer this goes on, people are saying, I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to take risks because we're just tired of it. But it's hope that keeps us alive. And the Bible has a lot to say about hope. And I just want us to, to take a look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, this was written by the Apostle Peter. He was, of course, you know, one of the 12. And uh, Peter, you know, he was the one that denied Jesus, if you recall, and the rooster crowed. Peter was writing this letter to Christians in his day who suffered great loss. Loss of freedom, loss of life. Um, they were being persecuted for their faith. But I want you to notice how he begins. After he gives his little introduction and greetings, this is what he says in his founder, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of all their suffering and their grief and their loss, how can Peter really say, praise be to God, when so many maybe wanted to curse God and maybe felt that God had forsaken them. But Peter was not looking at things as they are now in this world, but as they will one day be. He was looking at the bigger picture. I want to ask you a question this morning. No matter what you're going through, are you looking at the big picture? Do, are you taking the larger perspective of what God might be up to in our lives and how he might use this loss and this suffering to make us stronger and to turn our attention toward the promise of heaven? Well, there's a couple of themes that stand out in this passage that I want us to touch on. One is the theme of mercy. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it talks about the mercy of God. Did you know that God is merciful? We see this in the Old Testament that God, God cares about the downtrodden. He cares about the, the poor the widow, the foreigner, the fatherless. God is a merciful God. And look at what he gives us because of his mercy. You see, our world right now is really messed up, and the reason our world is messed up is because we're messed up. 
because of sin. But God has mercy upon sinners. And because of that, God has launched a cosmic rescue operation for this world. But it's not going to come through politics, folks. Yes, go to the ballot box, do all that stuff. But our hope is not in the politicians. It is not in nations. It is in God. That is where our hope lies. So he's launched this great rescue operation. And you're saying, well, boy, I sure wish God would hurry up. I wish he'd hurry up. You know, it's interesting, the Second World War, the Allied forces, um, their objective of the Allied forces, the United States, uh, Great Britain, France, Russia, uh, their objective was to defeat the Axis powers, Axis powers, and to save the world from tyranny. That was their objective. And we know that that war lasted for about six years. Victory was not achieved quickly. And even when it became inevitable, for instance, that Germany was going to lose, the war continued. Blood was still being shed on the battlefield. Millions of people were still suffering loss, even though victory had been assured. I want to tell you something, folks. Because Jesus rose from the dead, our victory is certain if we will hold on. To hope. So Peter calls us to be patient and to place all of our hopes on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's what verse 7 says. Our, so what I just want to ask you right now, are you looking around you? The news? Everything that's going on? Or are you looking upward rather than outward? Because the Bible says we need to set our hearts on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where our hope lies. And so here he's talking about, you know, he's saying praise God because of his mercy. Even though everything's messed up and we're messed up, God is good. He's merciful. And he's given us this living hope, this hope that lives within us. And it looks forward to the coming age when Christ returns, that he's going to inaugurate at that time. In the meantime, he's saying things might be going wrong. He says, but we who have faith are being shielded by God's power. So we, our hope is not in what is seen around us. Hope is unseen. We, we don't hope for what we already have. You hope for what you are promised to have. And so he talks about this hope that we have, and he says, we've been born again to a living hope and into an inheritance. How many of you knew that you have an inheritance waiting for you? And I'm not talking about an earthly inheritance. Maybe you've got that too, but that's nothing compared to what's waiting for you in heaven. And so he says here in verses 4 and 5, he said, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Listen, it's being kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You have an inheritance waiting. I talked, I did a series of messages before Christmas on heaven. And it was really about the new creation, the new earth, 
the new heavens and the new earth. And that that's where our hope lies. In the coming age, we have an inheritance. Uh, we're going to, folks, God is going to restore all things. And everything that is wrong will be set right. We will have new bodies. How many of you are looking forward to a new body? Come on. How many? Come on. How many of you like the body you got? Really? Okay. <laughs> I, you know what? Some of us wish we had a different body. I, I don't know what those bodies are going to be like, but we're promised a new body. We're promised rewards. We're promised a crown. We're promised uh, the prize if we will hold on to hope. There's so much there that God has in store for us. And so all that is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he, look, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus, it's because Jesus was raised that we have hope, folks. Because you know what? If, if there's no life after death, if there's no resurrection, and our hope is only for this life, woe is us. But he said, no, no, no. Our hope is in the life to come. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Jesus did not rise, then we have no inheritance. There is no new creation. If Jesus did not rise, there's no forgiveness, no eternal life, there's no reward, there is no hope. If Jesus did not rise, our faith is useless. And there's no new birth. And we're all false witnesses. But the good news is, let's try this, He is risen. And that's the hope of the Christian. Do you know what hope looks like? An empty tomb. I've got a cross behind me. And the cross is a symbol of our faith, but so is the empty tomb. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he triumphantly rose from the dead. So hope for us is not an emotion. Hope is not even really a state of mind. Hope is an objective reality. It exists. There is heaven waiting for us. And so there's only two responses we can have to this. And the first one that Peter talks about is that of faith. Look at verses 6 and then verse 7. He says, in all this, this hope, this inheritance, he says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief. Any of you suffering grief? He said, it, it, just for a little while. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, the genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The troubles that we suffer right now are meant to purify us, to refine us. Here's the thing. If things in your life are wrong, 
they're not coming up roses and you're like, what, what, what's going on? Why is our world in this mess? Why is my life in a mess? It's because God wants you to not focus on what this life offers, but on what's coming in the age to come. God wants to build character in you. Somebody once said, whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. You know, there's truth in that. In James, he says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds because they produce perseverance in you. And perseverance will complete its work and you'll become mature and complete and not lacking anything. Well, here's what happens. Suffering and loss and persecution in this life, if you have faith will make you stronger. It will build character in you. You'll become more like Jesus. It'll take your eyes off of this world and put your eyes on that which is to come. And so he's saying, gold is purified in the fire. It, does, it, it actually melts away those impurities. They can extract those impurities, and it can test whether that gold truly is gold, whether it's genuine. God's putting you through the fire. Here's the point. Are you willing to stay in the fire? Am I willing to endure the fire so that God can refine me? The fiery trials that we suffer in this life are a test and are meant to prove whether our faith is genuine. And so that's why he begins with praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know, we're going through this now, but you know what? It's just going to become a distant memory one day. And that's the other response. We need to respond in faith, but we need to respond with praise. Uh, he says this. This is amazing. You know, when you consider that he's writing to Christians who are suffering, and he's suffering, and he has words in there like, um, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. He said, one day all that you're going through will result in praise, glory, and honor, and you will sing with inexpressible and glorious joy on that day when you arrive on the other side. I mean, this, this uh, passage of Scripture is filled with praise. And so, in the meantime, we wait. We wait patiently with hope. The grief is real. The sadness is real. It's okay. It's okay to be sad when you're going through hard times. And it's okay to experience grief. But we need to grieve with hope of what is to come. That'll see you through. I don't think Spielman was having fun, but he had hope. So we have what we would call a retrospective view of life. We, we look at the end, where we're headed, and we look back, and it puts everything into perspective. And so the promise of of our resurrection from the dead is what gives us hope. You see, our hope isn't just He is risen, He is risen indeed. You know what the Bible says? It's, that's good news that Jesus rose, but you know why it's such good news? It's because He was the first among many. 
for those of us who have faith, for those of us who give praise to him in spite of the circumstances, we too will be raised. Amen? We will be raised. And we will have new resurrection bodies and all that God has in store for us. That's our hope. Waldeslav Spielmann held on to hope that there would be life for him after the war. And we are called to hold on to the hope that there will be life after death. So don't lose heart. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Hold on to hope. Because, as it says in verses 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving and you will receive the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Compared to what Waldeslav Spielmann had to endure and compared to the intense loss and suffering that those people that Peter was writing to, um, what we're enduring I don't think is nearly as intense for most of us. COVID fatigue might seem small in light of what they went through. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything we suffer in this life will be worth it. And I just want to end with this. Uh, my son, uh, who's been having kind of a spiritual renaissance, um, ended up watching on Good Friday a movie called Paul, Apostle of Christ. And I had seen the movie once, and I thought, you know, I'm going to watch that again. Paul, Apostle of Christ. It's on Netflix. And there's a scene at the end of this movie, um, one of the final scenes of the movie, where the um, Roman prefect, Mauritius, Mauritius um, apologizes to Paul for those who had been martyred for their faith on that day. This Roman prefect apologizes to Paul. And Paul looks at him with tenderness and compassion, and he says to this Roman prefect, he says, have you ever been sailing? And when the prefect answers, yes, this is what Paul says, and I'm going to read this. He says to the prefect, imagine yourself looking out at the vast sea before you. You reach down and you put a hand into the water and you scoop it up towards you. Immediately the water starts to leak through your fingers until your hand is empty. That water is a person's life. From birth to death, it is always slipping through our hands until it is gone along with all that we hold dear in this world. And yet, Paul says, the kingdom I speak of and that I live for is like the rest of the water out in the sea. Man lives for that cup of water that slips through his fingers. But those who follow Jesus Christ live for the endless expanse of the sea. 
It's waiting for us. Hope is an empty tomb. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And that is why Peter could begin his letter with the words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us due birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My Redeemer lives. Can everybody say that together with enthusiasm? My Redeemer lives.